G'day everybody, welcome to church this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Damo uh, and it is so good to have some visitors in the room. Uh, I'm coming all the way over here because um, we're actually getting quite a bit of traffic through uh, the Facebook post. So g'day to everybody online, uh, it's good to see you. And I wanted to make sure that we had a really good um, understanding of uh, well, actually, what we're talking about tonight, and I want it so that it can go into perpetuity. So, go back and listen to this again and again and again as you um, go through the next three, six months with us here at the church. Um, because I think what our passage has for us today is just so valuable, and it feeds into the future of the church here. Okay, so I'm going to call this one out of the excess or out of the abundance, I will be rich towards God. Out of the excess, out of the abundance, I will be rich towards God. Let's start with a joke. Uh, an old man, he dies alone. An old man dies alone. In his will, he's requested that his fortune be buried with him in the coffin. And to make sure that this happens, he's divided his fortune between his pastor, his doctor and his lawyer. The three most trusted professions. Yes. <clears throat> These three would divide and then bring a third of his fortune to his funeral, uh, $10 million each, let's say, and then place the money in his coffin as he's buried. That way he knows his money's going to get in there. On the day of the funeral, they gather around the coffin. The doctor speaks first. He says, I'm sorry, gentlemen, I couldn't honour our friend's dying wish. I've betrayed his trust. I feel really guilty, but I just can't condone burying all this money with our friend, while so many people are suffering, I must admit I gave a million dollars to my hospital. Uh, and then, you know, because they need to update their old equipment, I donated a million dollars to doctors overseas uh, to help save lives in the developing world. But I bought the other eight million, he says, and he opens the bag and he dumps the cash into the coffin. Our greedy friend can still rest in peace and can still live with himself. And I can still live with myself. Okay. The pastor. The pastor speaks next. He says, sorry, gentlemen, I too, I couldn't honour our friend's dying wish. His money can't do anything for him in the afterlife, but here on earth, it can still do some good. And so I confess that I've donated $1 million to several reputable charities that I know are in need, um, and I've used another million to sponsor church planting around the world. But look, and he opens the bag and he says, I've still got $8 million. Um, I trust that our friend will be happy with this and, and I can justify myself before God in what I've been given to steward. And he dumps the money in the coffin. And the lawyer, the lawyer glared at these two, glaring. How dare you? Both of you ought to be ashamed of yourself. It's not a question of what this money could have been used for or not used for. It's a question of moral responsibility, he says. We were the only three in the world that he trusted to honour this request. And as he says this, he produced an envelope from his coat pocket and he says, and that's why I will leave this cheque for the full $10 million with our dearly departed friend. No, for the full $10 million. Anyway, yeah, he got 26, yes, he did, Lexi. In the end, the man got $26 million, or did he? Okay, so what's a cheque do? A cheque for those that are kids in the room. Um, it's like an IOU. You know what an IOU is? No, uh, you know, if you'd owe me a dollar and you say, Dad, can I pay you back a dollar later? And you say on a piece of paper here, this is, this is what I owe you. 
Yeah, and then if I die and I say, actually, I want my dollar back, am I ever going to come and get my dollar back off you? No. It's funny, isn't it? Okay, so for all, it's so funny. Ah, okay, so for all the kids that are here in the room today, if you haven't seen, there's a word search puzzle and you've got uh, folders and binders that you can play with um, during uh, the talky bit now. Keep an ear out in that word search. There's keywords that you can uh, pick up on as I'm speaking. Um, money, wealth, what a topic to talk about at church. Last night I had a conversation with a lady and she said, never going to go to church, only about money, rowdy, rowdy, rah. No, not good. <clears throat> you know, money is something that causes so much trouble in the world. And today I want to actually tie the idea of wealth and this idea of wealth and money, not only about, well, what are we doing with money now? But actually, what are we doing with our money moving forward? Okay, it's not just about what does money do now, but it's actually what does money do moving forward? And I want to say that because unless you know where you're going with your life, the money that you have or the potential um, that you have in your money or the desire that you have for money will rule your thoughts. Unless you know where you're going, money and desire can rule your thoughts. Okay, this isn't just a personal thing. It's actually a community thing. It's a family thing. Each of these spheres is impacted. And so I want to leave this with you. Out of the excess, out of the abundance, I will be rich towards God. Okay, so I loved this joke, okay, because it unveils a truth that we're uncomfortable with, that once we're gone, once we die, that's it for this world. And it also shows the temptation for us to be greedy and how some might be really good at following the rules, like the lawyer, but actually, we might have missed the point of the game that we're playing. The lawyer missed, actually, this is how to honour his friend, or, or maybe did he actually miss the point? Oh, such a good joke. Okay. The lawyer, he's good at the rules, but has he actually honoured his friend? And for us, as we go, okay, I'm going to give to church, or I'm going to give to my charities, or I'm gonna, are we just giving as we decide, hang on, we're going to follow the rules? Or perhaps we're actually missing the point of why we give or what we do with our money and our wealth. Um, I hope that as you hear the finance update from uh, Leanne in the AGM coming, um, and I hope that as you hear the uh, call committee update from Gordo, that these things are helpful for us to evaluate what we're giving to as a community. And so by the end, of what we talk about today, that it might actually weigh heavily on us as a community. Actually, we have a responsibility um, in not just what we do here as a community, but actually what you do personally, what you do as family groups. Okay, so the simple fact is that Jesus taught people about wealth and finances. And this has come up in our readings. We've come across a passage that talks about the idea of wealth and ambition. And we could just, you know, push it away, push it aside. You know, oh, we don't want to talk about money because it's uncomfortable. No, actually, as a church, we're not going to back away from this, and it's a part of our lives, and it needs to be spoken about. And so though it might be uncomfortable, let's look at how wealth and ambition are dealt with in this scripture of Luke 12. And so as we start, we find Jesus being asked to reinforce the rules. 
Okay, the man comes up to him and he says, you know, brother, give me my inheritance. You know, this is what's right, right? This is what's right. This is what I deserve. This is what I want, you know, from this man. And yet the rules aren't always what we need. Okay, so to help get the point across uh, to his listeners, Jesus tells a parable to help tease out the actual important part of what is wealth and why we are given the responsibility of managing it. What's it all about? Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, Luke 12, verse 13 through to, uh, what are we on, 21? 20, something like that. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In the Jewish context, this isn't actually an abnormal question. This isn't out of the ordinary. He's saying, hey, can you just tell this guy just to give me what's right, give me what's mine? The eldest brother in this context would have received a double portion. You know, as the oldest brother for the Jewish people, they get double. And then everybody after that gets it split evenly. And so if it's just him and the brother, then the older brother gets two-thirds, the younger brother gets one-third, and that's it, sorted. The younger brother receives the remaining amount after the dividing up, and that's it. And he says, hey, tell my brother I want my money. And he would have been within his rights culturally, you know, the appropriate, the set amount, no back and forth about how much. But actually here Jesus turns the story on his head and he responds quite harshly when you consider that normal picture that I've just painted for you. He says, man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? When in fact, you know, rabbis would have been the people that they did seek out to be judges and arbiters. And as a teacher of the law, Jesus here might have picked up this role easily and he might have followed the Jewish cultural transition. But here the response is, not nah, here, this is harsh. You've missed something. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store across. I loved the video before. Oh, such great. Whether he would have stored uh, his grain in silos uh, above ground, like in the video, more likely it was actually big pits dug in the ground. Uh, rock, natural rock liners around the outside. They've done archaeological digs from the time and they found wheat jammed in between these rocks. So they know that these silos are mostly underground and then covered up somehow with big beams. But... Um, the rich man in this passage is in trouble. What is he going to do with his excess? Jesus, growing up, he lived an hour's walk away from the capital city named Sephora, where actually they dug some holes in the archaeological digs and they found these pits. And so this would have been something in Jesus' mind as he's telling this story. Any, any farmers here? How much is in a normal grain silo? What do they hold? Uh, give us the biggest one you got. Grain, biggest, biggest grain silo. 60 tonne. 60 ton. That's amazing. Okay, so for the kids in the room, uh, we'll say a car is a tonne, so that's 60 cars worth. Is that about right? Give or take. All right. So the archaeological digs show these grain silos in the ground can contain anywhere up to 400 cubic metres of grain at a time. 
And if we're talking about barley, one cubic meter of barley weighs 600 kilograms, you know, almost half a car, a little bit more than half a car. And so, so that you don't have to do the math in your head, we're looking at silos that contain 270 tons of grain in these places. Okay, so here we're talking about the overabundance of this rich man. This just wasn't any middle-class guy in this parable. He, he was loaded. He was a high flyer. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And he said to himself, you know what? I've got lots of grain laid up for many, many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, for those that have got your Bibles handy, I'm going to flick us quickly to Isaiah 22, verses 12 to 14. Um, we're going to see more of this eat, drink, and be merry language. And I love the idea of, um, you ever have the, the thought about Jesus reading the Bible? You know, what was Jesus' Bible as he grew up? And he, he read the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 22, we've got this same language, eat, drink, and be merry. Isaiah 22, 12 and 14. And Isaiah here is talking about our attitude to life, particularly when the world is in tumult, when the world is in trouble. Actually, that feels like today, doesn't it, with COVID? But these are the moments that we can miss our objective, fail to acknowledge the need that's around us. And it happened in Isaiah that can happen for us today. And so verse 12 in Isaiah 22 says, The Lord, the Lord Almighty called you on that day to weep and to wail, to tear out your hair and to put on sackcloth. See, God asks us to mourn for these changes, you know, that we're in these dips, in these valleys of life. And here in this part of Isaiah, um, it's to detest the loss of safe living for Isaiah's countrymen. To detest even the loss of a family's self-sufficiency, um, particularly as they're getting attacked. And they've said, no, no, we need to defend ourselves. You know what? To defend ourselves, we're actually going to take people's houses. We're going to take people's property so that we can build a wall um, to increase the security for the people. And the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, called you on the day to weep and wail, to tear out your hair and put on sackcloth. You know, in this passage, the people have given over more than they can bear. And yet the next passage tells us what's happened. But see, here is joy and there's revelry, there's slaughtering of cattle, there's killing of sheep, there's eating of meat and drinking of wine, where everybody's saying, hey, let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. In the tumult, in the hard times, do we just give up? You know what? Let's just eat and drink everything that we got here because we're going to die anyway. Now, let's just, let's just even be merry. What attitudes are we bringing to this life, right? Is life a game? Is that what we're saying? We're here for a minute and then we're gone. And so therefore, let's see who can amass the most toys. And he who dies with the most toys wins. And it's this attitude, right, that the Lord can't stand. And he finishes this in Isaiah saying, The Lord Almighty has revealed this in my hearing. Till your dying day, this sin will not be atoned for, says the Lord Almighty. 
Till your dying day, this sin will not be atoned for. And this is the tie between wealth and ambition or vision, right? Those with wealth are called to steward it well. You can't steward something unless you know where you're going. Are you following me with that jump there? Align yourself with the kingdom and everything else, every other toy becomes a distraction. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. God the Father, detesting this attitude all the way back in Isaiah, 700 years before Christ. Let's come back to our passage in Luke. Jesus has this same disgust. Back to the top of our passage, we have our two brothers quarrelling. We're, um, we're not told the heart of the one that was asking Jesus for this request. But here we have a clear indication that if the brother wanted the inheritance just for his own comfort, to, to furnish himself in a better manner, then actually that's a problem. That's a problem. It's a huge problem. So much that Jesus tells in this parable that a rich person is effectively sentenced to immediate death. If you read verse 20, God says to him, you fool. He says, you missed the point of why you've been given the wealth. What's important? Not eating, not drinking, not making merry, but actually life is important. Kingdom is important. God with you, around you, Christ be all around me. We sung it before. We're living life in that way. And he says in the passage, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You know, we try to hold on to all this stuff. We might hoard and we might hoard until silverfish, moth and mouse decay and destroy. And we don't even notice because we've got all this stuff on top of all the other stuff that we can't play with because we've got stuff on top of it so we don't even notice that the stuff underneath is rusting away or being degraded. I am speaking to myself here, yeah, yeah. As an aside, I love the second-hand culture that's here in Margaret River. So good to be able to give stuff away as we do in Margaret River here. Uh, and know that it's not just going into the bin because you have a moment of weakness when you purchased it. Interesting, that moment of weakness when I purchased it. That speaks to vision, right? That speaks to ambition. Where am I going? This is where I'm going. Oh, I see this shiny thing. Hang on a second. This is where I'm going. Oh, shiny thing. Do you catch me? You catch this picture of actually where am I going and, and, and what am I doing with my money? How am I stewarding my wealth. If, I'm, if I know that I'm going on a holiday to a desert place, right? I'm going on a holiday to a desert place and I see this wetsuit. And maybe I see a wetsuit, it's half price. Oh, half price wetsuit, bargain, bargain. You know, oh, I got to get the half price wetsuit. Hang on a second. I'm going, I'm going this, I'm going to the desert. This is my holiday in the desert. I'm loving my holiday in the desert. Why would I bother picking up a wetsuit for half price? Even if it's a bargain. It speaks to this overabundance of what we have. Oh, we've got all this excess. What do we do with it? 
Come back to verse 20. This very night will, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this hits home, right? You work hard all day. You work hard, so hard. I know how hard some of you work. I know. You call me, you say, oh, I get, man, I work hard. We work hard. Maybe we're successful. Maybe you have a win. But then at the end, we all die and we got to leave it to somebody. The last chapters of Ecclesiastes 2 and 3, the last six months, sorry, the chapters of Ecclesiastes 2 and 3 have been so big in my mind. You know, it's about the seasons that we go through in life. But there's this nugget in verse 18, I think it's chapter 2, which speaks about the frustration of knowing that we're going to die and all this stuff that you've amassed over your life, all this stuff that I've amassed over my life, one day I'm going to have to pass it on to somebody else. No, putting it in my coffin with me. Gee, that'd be fun. Get buried with all this stuff. I know, okay, personal story. For me, I've collected uh, stuff that helped me with my recreation in music. I love this musical. You've got the synth on stage there. So much fun to play with. Maybe I know a half of how it works, right? I'm still growing and learning in that, right? The, the ladies played it today. They know like maybe one one thousandth of how to use that thing. You know, I understand how these things that I buy work, right? Because I'm interested in all the rest of it. One day I'm going to pass them on to my girls, or even my wife, and they don't know how hard I worked for all this stuff. I worked so hard for all this stuff, right? And then I'm going to have to give it to them, and they don't know how to work it. Ah, <laughs> oh, frustrating. Ecclesiastes 2 and 3. Even worse, maybe, you know, they don't know how to use it. Even worse, maybe they don't even care about how it works. They don't want to learn how it works. We go to mass all this stuff. And what does that actually say? No wonder Solomon calls it vanity. Life is not about you or your toys. Life is not about me or my toys. And if you think it is, then Solomon's right in calling it out. He's saying, hey, it's vanity. It's vanity. And the warning for those that want to increase their barns for their own sake. It's right there. What's the warning? Death. It's death. You call it spiritual, spiritual death. You, you hoard all this stuff. Are you going to feel great spiritually? Nah. Spiritual death, physical death, no difference. Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Okay, so now we're looking at vision. What's the bigger picture? Why are we on earth? What is God calling us to do with our wealth here in Margaret River? What is God calling us to do with our wealth generally? If you're watching online, what is God calling you to do with your wealth? The man in the parable was in the upper echelons of society. He was loaded. We don't know if the brother who was listening to Jesus was poor or he was rich. It could be very easy for us because Jesus was saying this to the rich guy. He said, 
Oh yeah, Jesus, you get those rich people, they're not doing enough. Or maybe the, the guy was not rich. And so he's saying, oh, what does this have to do with me? But I love this parable, right? Because it's not about how much you have. Because what does the parable speak about? It speaks about the excess, the overflow. The abundance that is past. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. If you've received what you need for the day, if you're living sufficiently, and here we're not talking about making yourself poor for God, though some people have, and sometimes it's needed, and sometimes it's a trap and a snare in its own way. But what we're talking about here is how are you directing the excesses in your life towards building the kingdom of God? Are you all with me? Yeah? How are we using the excess in our life, the overabundance that we are blessed with, to build the kingdom of God? Okay, let's talk money. Let's talk time. Let's talk energy. Let's talk, oh, I've got an extra property. Maybe it's sitting vacant, maybe it's not. Let's talk extra capital. Let's talk plants or equipment. How am I using these things, these excesses that I accrue for the kingdom of God? 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Social experiment. Let's, let's have a bit of fun. If you've had a renovation in your house over the past 10 years, put your hand up. A few people, yeah. Uh, just a toilet reno, bathroom reno, kitchen reno. If you've moved house, maybe from a bigger house to a small house, or even from a smaller house to a big house, stick your hand up. Yeah. When was the last time this church here had a renovation? Beyond bare maintenance. The toilets, the kitchen. As we live our lives of comfort at home, are we expecting guests of our community to come here and rough it? I love the way Jesus phrases this, be rich towards God. Now, it's good for me to make this point about the church building, right? But at the same time, perhaps rich towards God in your conscience means, actually, I don't want to give to a building. I want to give to a local charity the excess of what it is beyond what I need. Or I want to help create micro-enterprises for those who need an income. In those ways, you're building into the kingdom of God. You're releasing those who are captive to poverty into sufficiency. Use your wealth for the kingdom. Be rich towards God. As a church, we have a decision to make. As we consider calling another pastor to come alongside me, work alongside me, if we set vision 
and we say that we're going to plant a faith community south of Marks. Let's say that. Let's have it. Let's go. You know, let's set a vision. Let's say, hey, let's plant a community, a faith community south of Margaret River somewhere. If the membership decides to plant a church in the coming years, we're actually potentially going to need another pastor to come alongside me. Where will the income for that pastor come from? This building that we occupy, we have to ask the question, if we're being rich onto God, we have to ask, is this building helping us connect with our community or is it a barrier for us engaging with them? You know, should we potentially sell this building, pay for another pastor or two to do community work and pastoral work? What does being rich towards God look like for our community? Let me share uh, two stories as I close. During this week, I attended a pastor's Zoom meeting. Uh, in it, the director of the Baptist Church's WAs. He cast vision for the future of the Baptist movement here in Western Australia. He outlined the desire to see the church grow, but not in the old models of, okay, well, how do we do church plan? Oh, I know, let's put in a $400,000 building over there somewhere, and then we'll take half of a congregation. We'll say, okay, you guys can stay here. You guys, you're all going over into that building, and that's how we're going to plant a church. It worked back in the 80s, back in the 90s. You know, It was great. But interestingly, he didn't speak about that. He spoke about micro-church networks. He spoke about get-your-hands-dirty church planting. And this is what I've been saying to the board for the last 12 months, as we've been in conversation. But what is it going to take for this to happen in our community? It's going to take a people aligned in will to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it. It'll take people who are willing to forego the excess of their life, acknowledging that personal empire building is pointless. But this idea, out of the excess, out of the abundance, I will be rich towards God. It works no matter how much you earn whether the upper echelon or the poor pauper in the street. But for that to work, vision needs to be cast. And alignment with a direction towards the kingdom. Community helping people know God, a community helping people share Christ, and a community that helps to care for each other. And the abundance and the excess of what we have put towards that end. And we need to come along and empower and resource what God is already doing at work in our community. So as I close, I want to share three spaces that I see at God at work this week. And they all play into this idea of um, not only wealth, but God moving before us and providing for us, providing abundance and providing an excess. So... Um, you know, we sung before, Christ be all around me. And so I, in these three places that I see, I see Christ be all around me. I see God at work in the moment. I see God at work in the future. And we sung that as well. We sing, may his favour be upon you for a thousand generations. We sung that. 
May he move before you. May his favour be with you. God work in the future. And then the third thing is I see God at work for our immediate need. Okay? I look around for what God is already doing. I've had these three examples. They've smacked me in the face this week of how God is providing before us. Okay? Uh, first, God at work in this moment. As I look at Margaret River, I see that we are so connected as a people. Even, hey, so good to be connected online. And yet we are so isolated, so lonely. We have FIFO workers. We have single parents. We have separation uh, with kids involved. We have anxiety. We have depression in our community. Just this week, I had a conversation with a group that helps connect people around a common interest. As they meet, what I see is the loneliness that the isolation of COVID made for them. As they meet, that is broken. And I want to resource that group. I want to empower that group. I want to see it grow because as I see those people connect and engage in that space, I see God at work in their lives, even if they don't recognize it. I see people being brought back from the brink of anxiety. I see people being brought back from depression and loneliness. And as Christians engage in that space alongside them, I pray that these people might find healing from their anxious thoughts and their depressions. But I also pray they might find salvation also. So that's God at work in the moment. In the second space, I see God moving for us in the future, placing dreams in our head, providing future goals for us to attain. So when I speak about church planting, I speak about it because I've seen it, right? I've seen the church plants not merely surviving, but I've seen church plants thriving because they meet a felt community need. When we talk about wealth and money, ambition or vision, you know, we can choose as a people. We can choose how we are going to meet our community's needs that are here in Margaret River. And not just the needs for now, but the needs they're going to have over the next season. Right? Are we thinking about, oh, let's think about one year's time in Margaret River Baptist Church. You know, within these walls, what's going to happen here for one year's time? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Come on. 10, 15, 20 years forward. What do we want to see? What do we want to see? Are we going to be rich towards God as the parable asks? Are we going to steward wisely? Just last week I was talking with a local developer and he was talking about the need for a second high school here in Margaret River. And this conversation came off the bat of me going to the pastor's conference at Kerry Baptist College. And at Kerry they've got the childcare centre, they've got the school going they got the cafe and they got the big auditorium, 1,000 people. If anybody's from Kerry's watching, hey, it's great to have you with us. Hey, they've got, they've got things that they've got going on, but they're not doing that. And they're not being a great church because they're here worshipping God, which is great and actually to be commended. But what they're doing is they're meeting their felt community needs. They're meeting their community needs to be able to move forward and people are coming through the church because of that. They're coming in contact with the gospel, being saved, being brought back to life. As I shared this with uh, Miriam, I said, oh, gee, it'd be interesting to see what would happen if the Christians of the Southwest got involved together and said, you know what, we need to meet our community need of putting a second high school in. This is big. You know, here I am dreaming, right? Mind blown. And she's going, 
Sorry, Mary, I'm going to rat you out here. Um, she says, hey, 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 don't dream too big. Don't dream too big. No, no, you'll never get the, the churches in the southwest on board with that. No, no, no. You're not allowed to dream. Sorry, babe. <laughs> is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> but what is it? What would the southwest look like if all Christians lived according to what we're reading here in Luke? What would it look like? Not storing for themselves, but giving out of the overflow. Everyone has their sufficient. It is good for us to dream together, to share and cast vision. Everyone say, yeah. It's good. <laughs> Thanks, kids at the back. Okay, uh, the third one, and then I'll close up. Okay. Finally, the third, God is active in our immediate need. Um, you know, we had the call committee as a board. We're talking as a board. And we're saying, hey, call committee, this is going to take us a while to find a pastor because of this reason and that reason and this reason and that reason. Okay, I had an old friend contact me this week, somebody who's been in ministry for the past 15 years. Okay, this person mentioned that they might be keen for a change in role. I haven't said anything to them. I don't know and I don't have the authority to even offer them here a role in that church. But in that conversation, what I saw was a glimpse that God will provide for our needs as we step out in our faith, as we are faithful in how we live, as we're faithful in not seeking for ourselves, but seeking after the kingdom, as we live in our sufficiency, giving the rest away rather than hoarding. Why would I grab a wetsuit if I know I'm going this way? I love that God's like, oh, you need a pastor. Here you go. Right? How cool is that? Let's start talking about what God being, being rich towards God looks like in our faith community. Uh, in closing, I could have had a dozen people on stage today speak about uh, the benefit of a generous heart. I could have had a dozen people speak about, you know, give the 10% because uh, that's what the Bible needs. I could have uh, brought up the idea of taking delight in the Lord because he'll give you the desires of your heart. Uh, Psalm 37. But that's not what this passage is about. It's, a, it's about identifying what does commitment to God's kingdom look like for you at the moment? What does God's kingdom look like for you at the moment? Does it look like, oh, sometimes I'll give. Yeah, sometimes I won't. Does it look like, oh, sometimes I'll attend church. Oh, sometimes I won't. Or maybe, hang on, we're set on being like the brother who asked for the exact amount of inheritance. We're going to play by the rules. I'm going to give 10%. I'm only going to give 10% because that's all I need to do. And we give to God only what's prescribed, the right amount by our culture. You know, giving that 10%. But hang on, the rest is spent on me. <laughs> me, it's on me. Or actually, are we giving to God out of the overflow, freely? We need to acknowledge God's graciousness to us, no matter our income or our ability. We need to send the excess of our income to the areas that need it. We need to be rich towards God, aligning with his future, knowing that we can't take it with us. And everything else is vanity. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we want to align ourselves with what you are doing in this world. Lord, we want to be rich towards you. And Lord, in this place, we want to provide a space for confession. We want to say, God, sometimes we fail. 
Sometimes we look at that shiny thing and we just say, I want it. And then moth and rust destroy. Lord, help us to know that we don't need these things. Help us to align ourselves with the kingdom and where we see you moving, Lord, help us to resource it. Help us resource your kingdom, Lord. Make it plain to us where you are moving. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Damo.